Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Esposito on 670 The Score. And good evening, everybody. Welcome in to Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Mike Esposito here with you this evening until 9 o'clock. Glad to be talking with you. Plenty to cover tonight as we broadcast live from the Hyundai Score Studios. Brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Brian Callahan uh, on the board tonight, uh, helping to produce uh, this fine program. We've got lots of good content coming your way this evening as well. We will... Talk a little Bulls with Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago uh, at 7.40. We'll uh, talk about the Bulls, who have won now four straight, uh, surrounding uh, some cancellations due to COVID. But the Bulls continue to get those Ws. We'll also talk plenty of Bears. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to Sean Hammond from Shaw Media, also Bears Insider. Uh, we'll talk to Sean at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. And also bring back some great sound from earlier this week, uh, from Olin Krutz and Dave Wanstead, uh, both on the station, uh, on Mully and Haw, as uh, was the Olin stuff, uh, uh, talking about the Bears, talking about the state of the Bears, uh, and also Sage Rosenfels, uh, a bit from Bernstein and Rahimi today, talking Bears, talking about uh, Justin Fields, talking about what the future looks like, coaching in terms of uh, Matt Nagy's status, does Ryan Pace survive, how does this all work out? Uh, we will talk lots of bears as well. Your input, as always, is welcome to 312-644-6767. That is the Tech Zone brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time and shop online at rosenhyundai.com. Uh, we do have uh, lots to discuss there. Uh, I want to start on, uh, certainly it's a, a personal note from uh, those of us who have worked in sports media and those of us who have worked uh, here in Chicago for for a number of years, and, and you just heard uh, Big Ant Heron and Hub talk about it uh, on their way out. Uh, but very, very sad news uh, today. Uh, we learned that uh, Jeff Dickerson, our colleague uh, from down the dial, passed away uh, only 44 years old. Complications from colon cancer. Um, and, and lots of tributes out there on Twitter already. Uh, but, but I will just say this. Uh, J.D. was... A great person, a much better guy uh, than a reporter, and he was a fantastic reporter. And I know that's very cliche to say, um, but just a just a, a tremendous dude, a guy you want to hang out with, a guy who, if you met, you knew um, you were a friend, and he was a friend. And uh, speaking as someone who kind of came up in the ranks in this business uh, with Jeff, 
Uh, JD, way back in the day, was an intern and then a producer here at The Score before he started down the dial at ESPN 1000. Um, but we, we started around the same time. We're both uh, Illini grads down in Champaign. We had that in common. I would see him in the press boxes at uh, whether it's Wrigley or Soldier Field, um, Comiskey at the time, U.S. Cellular, whatever it was at the time. Uh, just a great guy. He'd always be there to help you out if needed. He was a guy that was very uh, professional about his job. He was not here. I mean, he would do a talk show, sure, but he was here as a reporter, as a journalist, took it very seriously uh, and really earned the respect um, and and friendship eventually of a lot of the guys uh, that he covered on on the beat and especially over his last number of years on the Bears beat. So um, I wanted to start out with that. I know it's it's been uh, all over Twitter. It's really, it's a... It's a tough pill to swallow. Um, His wife, Caitlin, passed uh, a few years ago also of cancer. They have a young son, Parker. Uh, Parker, only 11. Uh, In fact, the last time I saw Jeff uh, pre-COVID at a Bears game in the press box and we were chatting, you know, we were both Little League dads. We were were coaching our sons in various sports, you know, comparing notes, talking about, um, you know, what our sons were doing, what our our boys were up to. Um, Even though I did not see him a ton, um, in, in the last number of years, it was, uh, it was, his, he, he was one of those guys where you pick up kind of where you left off. It was never, um, anything but that. Uh, and, uh, certainly I know, uh, if you check on Twitter, check on any of the social media platforms, uh, there's a nice write up too on ESPN's website. Um, it just, just shocking really. Uh, he, he is, he is, uh, was a very young man, very talented, and uh, just a, a very um, wonderful person. A guy you would want to be friends with, a guy you would love to work with, and certainly a guy that uh, we all enjoyed working with uh, over our various years on the Bears beat. So certainly condolences to, uh, to Jeff's family, um, and uh, certainly prayers up for for Parker, uh, who's his 11-year-old son, and uh, and the Dickerson family. Um, tough few years for them, and, and certainly our best wishes for them. Uh, and for J.D., um, R.I.P., buddy. Uh, we will definitely miss you, and um, tough to even talk about, really, and tough to think about. But uh, wanted to at least start and, and say that um, uh, a lot of people, you know, this is a very competitive industry, and you know, while Jeff worked down the dial, he did he did uh, way back when start at the score. We're all friends. We all see each other all over the place. And uh, uh, when you come right down to it, there's not a lot of us that uh, that are privileged enough to go cover things like this and to go work a Bears beat or to go cover a Bears game or whatever. Um, you see the same faces at a lot of things, and you know you hear a lot of those voices right here on the score. Uh, Jeff was always one of those guys that you always loved seeing, you always loved catching up with, uh, and if you saw him every day, I know that was uh, a, a true friendship uh, right there as well. So, um, best wishes to uh, to Jeff's family and our condolences to him as well. Uh, we are going to try to do a uh, bear show this evening, and as I mentioned, we have lots to uh, discuss on on the program tonight. Um, Sage Rosenfels uh, was on with Bernstein and Rahimi. We're going to join 
Sage. We're going to hear some of that sound from from what Sage had to say today with Bernstein and Rahimi, uh, and catch up with uh, some commentary from Coach Wanstead as well from the afternoon show yesterday. But really, uh, and some of this is just uh, breaking now. And if you're li- uh, wondering, breaking news on the score brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo privacy simplified. Uh, the new COVID protocol for the NFL and the NFL Players Association, they are looking at this. Um, they're reporting, and th- this is uh, previously what you had to have was unvaccinated players tested positive for COVID. Uh, they had to spend 10 days away from the facilities. Uh, and now all players, what they're saying, vaccinated or not vaccinated, will be permitted to return after a five-day quarantine if asymptomatic. I bring this up now because we're hearing about this in the NBA as well. The CDC just recently came back uh, with some new guidelines as well. But um, Colts quarterback Carson Wentz uh, was put on uh, the COVID uh, list today. Uh, He is unvaccinated. We know that because he has come out and said that he is unvaccinated. Um, And normally, uh, prior to today, what this would have meant for Indianapolis was that they would be out without their starting quarterback this weekend, uh, regardless of testing, regardless of anything else that happened um, today uh, or this week, I should say, with with his covid uh, situation. Um, But now Wentz, should he uh, be asymptomatic or should he be able to test negative before uh, this weekend, before Sunday, that five days, today's Tuesday, that five days is Sunday. and possibly impacting their game against the Raiders, a game which has huge playoff implications uh, in the AFC. And uh, we were talking about about how COVID has has really hit the Bears. Allen Robinson was uh, out today talking in the media, and uh, at his press conference today, uh, A-Rob said that he lost 10 pounds. He's, he's just coming off the COVID list, still trying to feel himself. Uh, he is vaccinated. He did, uh, that was reported earlier uh, this offseason or uh, this preseason, I should say. Um, but he's a guy who had it pretty bad. Ten days uh, off, lost 10 pounds, he said, and uh, still trying to feel like himself. I know that is uh, certainly uh, a tough thing when you're an elite athlete and you're trying to um, come up uh, and uh, and find that uh, second gear as, as an athlete. Um it's a tough thing to come back with. And, and uh, Brian Callahan uh, letting me know uh, more breaking news. Uh, here we go again. Breaking news on the score brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Protect your privacy online for free with DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo privacy simplified. Uh, John Madden has passed away. The legendary NFL coach, broadcaster, and for a, a kids of a certain age who would know him more from video games than they would from anything else, uh, video game pioneer, I guess you could call him. John Madden has passed away. Uh, as I get more information, this is literally just breaking. Uh, we will get it. The NFL is expected to send a release here shortly. Uh, we will go with that uh, just as soon as we get it. But uh, John Madden has passed away and uh, <clears throat> certainly a, a giant in uh, the game of football, both on the coaching uh, front and certainly on uh, the broadcasting front, that's where when I was a kid, you knew John Madden from. You saw the old highlights from when he used to coach the Raiders, but 
It was uh, Pat Summerall and John Madden up in the booth. Uh, if you heard those voices, you knew that that was the game of the week. And you knew it without even checking. You didn't have to see the teams. You didn't have to see anything else. You knew if Summerall and Madden were on the call uh, that, uh, that that was the best game on the slate that weekend. Uh, John Madden was 85 years old, um, winning coach of Super Bowl XI, uh, back with the Raiders over the Vikings, started his uh, broadcasting career uh, with CBS uh, back in the late 70s, uh, jumped over to Fox with Pat Summerall uh, in 1994 when Fox got um, the NFL package, the NFC package, I should say, uh, and then worked for, for both ABC and NBC uh, down in the later years. But um, the funny thing is, you know, <laughs> you talk about talk about generational uh, differences and, and how certain uh, people of a certain age remember people. I'm in my late 40s. People older than me will certainly remember Madden from his time as a coach and then as a broadcaster. As I just described, uh, you know, my childhood, I knew, uh, you know, and this is a guy that uh, started his broadcasting career in the late 70s. Uh, I would have been a little kid at that time, but certainly uh, during my, my growing up years in the 80s, uh, John Madden was, was there every Sunday, uh, usually with Pat Summerall. Uh, but for my son, who, you know, my one son, who is uh, nine, going on 10, he knows all about Madden, but he doesn't know anything about the broadcasting or anything about the coaching. He knows about the video games. And the Madden NFL games are as huge as ever. Uh, those started back in the late 80s and then into the early 90s. Uh, but John Madden uh, has passed away. Uh, he was 85. We'll, we'll get you more information as I get it here uh, on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. So we've got uh, lots to do tonight. Uh, what's coming up next is uh, we will do Sage Rosenfels. Uh, he was on earlier with Bernstein Rahimi. We'll bring back some of that sound. And then Bruce Levine is going to join us uh, at 640. Bruce is going to talk uh, with us, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll do a, a segment Remembering our friend Jeff Dickerson, who passed away today uh, at the age of 44. Lots of other Bears and Bulls talk before we are out of here at 9. It's Mike Esposito with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Four-man rush. Snap throw. Going to Graham in the end zone. He's got it for the touchdown. Touchdown Bears. Post-up touchdown. Jimmy Graham with a slam dunk in the end zone. And it's 24-23, Seattle. Extra point pending, Jimmy Graham, the two veterans hooking up, falls to Graham for the touchdown. Jeff Joniak on the call right there on our sister station, News Radio WBBM. The Bears, of course, would go for two and make it and uh, win that game against Seattle uh, on Sunday. Mike Esposito here with you until 9 this evening. Happen to be talking a little Bears with you, uh, and if you missed the uh, breaking news that we just uh, gave, uh, John Madden, legendary NFL broadcaster, coach, video game magnet, uh, however you know John Madden, uh, John Madden has passed away. 85 years old uh, was uh, John. We'll talk more about that uh, as we get uh, on in the show. Uh, I wanted to bring back, though, uh, Sage Rosenfels. He was on earlier today with Bernstein and Rahimi. Sage is always great. 
talking about the Bears, talking about the NFC North uh, in particular. Uh, and, and here's Sage Rosenfels from earlier this morning. Sage, after whatever that was from Nick Foles, and it was exciting, and there were some good throws and good catches, and the Bears won, and I don't know what it meant. I, I, did, anything, did anything significant happen that was important to the Chicago Bears or to a Chicago Bears fan? Yeah, I think so. You know, one thing that we've talked about on this show is, you know, what can Justin Field uh, learn from either playing in these sort of games that don't have a lot of value as far as playoffs are concerned, or, or what can he learn when he's on the bench? And I think he learned a lot in this game. And, you know, I, I think as, as you're watching, as he watches Nick Foles play and Russell Wilson on the other side, you know, Russell been one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL for about 10 years now. Hall of Fame uh, credentials over there and to sit and watch these two guys compete in a game that has very little value, a little bit more for the the Seahawks as they mathematically uh, were in playoff contention, but the season really was basically over for them as well. But to watch uh, an an old guy like Nick Foles go out there and sort of, you know, get, get one, get, uh, got the ball out of his hands fast a lot in this game, did not hold on to the football, didn't take a lot of stacks, wasn't trying to do too much but get the ball in the hands of his playmakers and sort of see how, again, like, you know, when, you, when you're an NFL quarterback, you got to think you, you want to have this long career. And anytime you have a long career, you're going to have ups and downs, and sometimes you might get benched, and sometimes you might change teams, and you find guys like Foles who are, you know, you start to have these sort of journeyman careers where you go around different teams. And, and, but, but to watch him compete uh, in terrible conditions out in the snow in Seattle and play really good football and sort of will his team to victory, I think is pretty cool for a young guy to sort of see, you know, these old guys, uh, they still have it too. And, and, you know, I don't know if Nick's a starting NFL quarterback for 16 or now 17 games, uh, but as a guy who can go in there and compete his tail off and, and sort of will his team to victory and, and sort of, you know, give his team a chance to win. But also on the other side, you know, I said seeing what, what uh, Russell Wilson was doing, and, and one really key moment in this game, probably the biggest play in this football game, was the sack that Russell Wilson took at the end. When they're up, you know, they're up seven, they're in short field goal range. Uh, I don't know, they're on the 10, 15-yard line, and he takes about a 10- or 12-yard sack by Robert Quinn, and it, push, it pushes the ball back further. You're kicking out of the snow. The ball ends up going wide left on the field goal. It's still a one-score game. And obviously, the Bears move the ball down uh, and score. And, and again, going back to Nick Foles, another thing that, that Justin Fields got to learn was sometimes in football, in particular in conditions like that, there's all these plays that coaches like to draw up. But sometimes it's not the X's and O's. It is the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And in that scenario, at the end of the game, he had one-on-one coverage. It was a bailing corner, which is not how you want to throw like a go route to, right? Because the, the corner gets to watch it the entire time. But it's Jimmy Graham. He's 6'6". He can just go out and literally box out somebody and go make a play. And so you draw up all these plays, and sometimes it's just about my guy versus that guy on the other side of the football. And I think that, again, Nick Foles saw that matchup. They knew if they had some sort of one-on-one on the outside, whether it's bump, whether it's off, he was going to give his guy a chance. And I thought it was sort of cool for Justin Fields to see all of that occur in a game, again, that didn't have a ton of value as far as, you know, the playoffs and those types of things are concerned. Well, and I appreciate you bringing up Russell Wilson because of 
also having a baseball background too. And I think that that's a fun comparison just to make. The slide is probably the most obvious when it comes to that. I know you and I have talked about slide mechanics in this segment before, but that Quinn sack to me was a three-point play easily it, or four-point play depending on the outcome. Change, change part of the outcome of the game. If you're somebody talking to Justin Fields after that one, asking him what his takeaways were or trying to point those out, what would you say about trying to not just implement the lessons but also try to put them into practice moving forward? Yeah, you know, watching Russell over the years, it does seem like the more I watch him, the more sometimes he puts his teams in bad positions. Uh, yeah, He does take a lot of sacks for a guy who – can run around really well and, and is strong in the pocket, but can sort of buy time. He does have, it seems like more and more over the last few years. I'm not sure if it's because he's trying to do more because his team's not great, but he just seems like he takes bad sacks or just makes bad plays at the sort of most inopportune times. And as again, as a young quarterback to go and see that, uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's aspects of football games of trying to do too much. And, and sometimes as, as one coach once told me, NFL games are really, really hard to win and really easy to lose. And in this game, Russell Wilson, and then that, that, with that sack and some of the things they did at the end of that football game after having that 10-point lead, they sort of found a way to lose that game. And, uh, and I think that's, a, that's like a learning point uh, for a young quarterback who's watching on the sidelines as well is just sort of how games sometimes play out. And, and uh, when another team gives you – an opportunity like Russell did there at the end, man, it's great to go capitalize on it. And Nick Foles did exactly that. And, and, you know, also, you know, what, what Nick did is again, getting the ball out. He didn't turn the ball over. I would say that fumble on that one play, but the bears recovered, but he, you know, fair, played a clean game, throws the ball very well, by the way, in bad conditions. And, and that's very much a, a thing that Justin needs to be uh, sort of aware of is, you know, there's a lot of these quarterbacks out there, snow, sleet, rain, doesn't really matter. Some guys can really throw it. Nick is a natural thrower. He threw the ball very, very well uh, in, in those situations and, and got the ball to his playmakers, got the ball to, to David Montgomery on a lot of checkdowns that end up being 10 and 12 yard uh, runs after a catch. You know, you get the ball to a running back in space and those types of conditions where the defense can't move, those can be really, really big plays in the game. And another thing that I think you saw is when you, when you have a one-on-one matchup, you got to take it. You can't overthink it sometimes when you have your one-on-one just give your guys a chance, and, and Nick Foles did that. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of learning uh, situations in this football game for, for Justin to watch these two quarterbacks that have been in the league for a long time sort of fight and scrap, and, and one, one sort of found a way to win the game. The other way, uh, the, Russell sort of found a way to lose that football game. This wasn't something I was expecting to ask, but as I'm flipping back through my mental notes on the game – I'm mindful of two different passes, and I apologize if I have this wrong, but there were two plays on which I think both third downs on which Nick Foles started to look like he was going to run. And no one's ever going to mistake Nick Foles for for Russell Wilson or Justin Fields. But his threat of the run, however nominal, changed the defense changed the and one it was a zone that just opened up a level window and I think he found Mooney and another I think was man where he was able to get the ball to commit who just sort of stopped where he was and made himself available and there's if we're gonna go through lessons for Justin Fields it's not every scramble has to be 
I'm going to score a touchdown. Sometimes it's keep scanning the field just by enough for maybe a big gain through the air. And how is that learned? Well, you know, there's an interesting uh, point about there's the play that is called, as I should say, there's a play that is designed and called, and then there's the play that actually occurs. And anytime a quarterback can buy more time than what was designed, you know, almost every pass play is designed for a quarterback to go back and at, at the most three hitches, but usually two hitches, the ball should be out of his hands. All right. You're looking deep. You don't like it. You check the ball down to a running back underneath, something like that. And, and, and when a quarterback can actually buy more time than that, it puts so much pressure on a defense, on the secondary, on the linebackers. If they're in zone, they're trying to cover uh, uh, for a long time these areas. And usually over time, offensive players just sort of find a soft spot in that zone. If it's man, you're forcing, whether it's a linebacker or DBs, to chase for you know, five, six seconds. And that's just really hard to do. Uh, when, when things aren't thrown on time. And so just the ability to buy some time does uh, really put a lot of pressure on the defense. Yes, there's the aspect of guys sort of come, like the linebackers come up because they have to tackle uh, the quarterback, which then lead, they leave their zone or may, maybe leave their man in the, uh, in the situation. And by the way, I think there was another one where there was a pass interference on Damon Williams on the, yeah. on the left-hand yeah. side. That was a, another one that Nick – you know, bought time and gave his guy a chance. But yeah, anytime that when you go back there and, and the, the pocket gets a, a, a little messy and you can get out of the pocket or just buy time, uh, uh, that hugely helps out, helps out your offensive line and puts a ton of stress on the Yeah, team. I guess the question, though, is balancing someone who's, who runs a 4-4, and and who's six four? I mean, like, how do you w- w- best for the length of your career? Best for your team in the moment? Like, sometimes there might be a chunk of eighteen yards that you can get, but if your if your eyes are really downfield, that if you just give it one more second, you're you're going to have an even bigger play. I'm just the actual process of learning that yeah. how to make those decisions can't be can't be easy or linear. Well, and as I was, you know, look, after sort of going through this almost the whole first season now and, and, and looking back at, you know, think about Justin and when he scrambles and buys time, it feels like to me he scrambles a lot to his right. You're right. He, it seems like I don't feel like there's a lot of instances where he has scrambled to his left to buy time. It's sort of got out of the pocket to his right and either runs or throws the ball away. But that might be something they work on in the golf season is a little bit more natural scrambling to your left. Um, uh, and, and buying time, so it's not always to your right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's you know the hard part with Justin is you know David Montgomery. I, I think he's a really good running back. One just as like a straight sort of eye back, handing the ball off when the quarterback's under center and shotgun. But also, obviously, he's a pass catcher. He rarely drops a pass. He's very good after the catch. He, he's a cyclone. He, yeah, he's a cyclone. Some some cyclone now. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he does a lot of good things. Uh, you know whether he you said whether it's under center or or um, or sorry whether he's getting the ball handed off or catching the ball, but Justin Fields is probably faster, right? I think if they had a foot sure. race for sixty yards, Justin Fields faster. But you don't really want your quarterback to be a running back, right? It's great when Justin runs; we all would prefer him to throw it. And so uh, you know, and, and Nick Foles is not that, right? But yet he was still very effective on moving around, uh, just buying time uh, on certain plays and being key plays in this ballgame. And as Justin ages, 
as he gets closer to 30 years old, I know we're looking way down the future, he's not going to have that 4-4 speed anymore. He's going to have to start uh, being a little bit more savvy uh, with his athletic ability because athletic ability will slowly decrease over time. He's going to have to become a better, better thrower and decision maker either from the pocket or, again, as you're buying time but not to run, buying time to throw. And uh, that's, I think, that's part of the maturation process of a, of a quarterback is to use your legs to buy more time instead of using your legs to run. I think it's good that you talk about the scrambling to the right side, though, because you know what we're seeing is a side effect of all of that are the cross-body throws that we love to see him make. He's, he's good at being able to make the cross-body throw across that side with his throwing arm. And then I'm curious what that means if he scrambles to the left, how that would result in how he's reading the field. Yeah, and there's, there's also spots where you can sort of set your feet, and there's sort of new techniques now where guys are, are, are rolling more to your left because you can actually flip your hips and get a little bit more juice on it than to your right. Uh, if you set up, it's sort of an, it's actually a little bit more awkward. Throwing to your left, you know, Gary Kubiak with, with myself, he loved, and Kyle Shane, they loved when I bootlegged to the left. They just felt that I was more accurate uh, to the left. And a lot of quarterbacks said something with your hips and the way you – you throw it as you're actually running to your left that people think it's harder, but in some ways it's actually easier. You get a little bit more torque uh, with your upper body when you're running to your left than to your right. When you're running to your right, it's really just all arm. When you're running to your left, you actually get to uh, torque your shoulders, torque your body, and create a little bit more whip. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of times you actually end up being a, a better thrower. But Yeah, it's, way, it's you know, like a shortstop. It's like a shortstop on the dead run grabbing a bouncer behind the mound. Yes, exactly right. And you, you, yeah, you can get you can get pretty good juice on it. Uh, and if you sort of set your feet a little bit, uh, you, there's just a little more torque there when then when he's going back into the hole and it's you know in between second and third, or yeah, between you know shortstop and third, yep. it's all sort of arm, uh, you know, on those types of throws, right? So there there are definitely advantages to throwing the ball to your left uh, as you're as you're running to your left. And, and yeah, I think we watch Justin play. He does he makes all the throws, right? I think the best thing he does are timing routes to the outside, whether it's some sort of, you know, 15 yard out route or some sort of uh, 15 yard, 20 yards sort of stop route out there. You know, when he does like, whether it's a low play action or just has time in the pocket, he can just go back there, take his steps, take his one hitch and let it go. He does not miss those throws very often. So there's, there's things that I think when they, when you break down the whole season, uh, you'll look back at all of the throws, Nick's throws, Justin's throws, Andy's throws, and you sort of find out what these guys were good at, what these guys sort of struggled with. And Justin's very good at those sort of outside timing routes. When things are good, man, he does not miss very often. What Nick's usually very good at, and what he's always been pretty good at in his career, is getting rid of the ball quick. I think one of those, when, you, when you're the older you are in that league, uh, and I always sort of felt that way, that ball becomes a little bit more of a hot potato. Uh, I got the ball in my hands. Who wants it? How can I get this ball out quick? Because, you know, more often than not, the longer you hold the ball in the pocket, good things don't happen. You know, you you get sacked, sack fumble, you know, all these types of things that the timing has been thrown off, right? So uh, Nick does a, did a great job in this game uh, and generally his career of, of getting the ball out quick uh, because, you know, we're, the, the ball is not going to get closer to the end zone by Nick Foles holding out longer and longer in that pocket. So identifying the defense quickly, getting the ball out quickly, getting to your play, playmaker's hands. And I thought Nick did a really good job in this game. And I thought it was great for Justin to, to see that. And it's also good for him to see, again, on the other side, Russell Wilson didn't do a great job of that in this game, took some sacks and, and won really, really 
key sack in this football game was obviously that one with about four minutes left, you know, in, in the, in the red zone, which pushed him back to that longer field goal that ended up being a, a missed field goal. And I really allowed the bears uh, to, to, to go win that then, because if they make that field goal, that game is basically over. Well, you have talked about the bears defense in this segment. I know we lean on you for offense, but what were your takeaways? Well, they didn't stop the run very well on, in this game, obviously, right? I mean, that, that Penny is uh, a heck of a running back. And, and obviously, Robert Quinn has had an unbelievable year. I mean, we have not – obviously, we don't, we don't talk defense much. But for a guy at his age to have – is it 17 sacks right now? Yes. Uh, on a team – you know, that's – you don't realize when you look at sack numbers, uh, if you look at all the NFL sack numbers, that the, the, the guys in the top 10 or 20 – most of those guys are on teams that have at least 500 records or more. You're winning at the end of the ball game. You're up by two scores. There's six minutes left. That is go time for those defensive ends. They're not worried about the run anymore. That was like when I was playing with mine with like Jason Taylor or Jared Allen in Minnesota. That was their, of course, favorite time of the game. We're up by a score or two in the fourth quarter. They are rushing the passer, and they're going to get a, an easy one or two in the fourth quarter. Quinn, uh, Robert Quinn has done that on, t- on when they're not winning. And then that's what's even almost more impressive is that he's doing it on not a dominant uh, team, a team that's losing a lot of times in the fourth quarter. And so he's not getting those cheap ones. And so you know, really a credit to him and obviously stepping up uh, in, in Max absence as he's been out, you know, so much this year. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, but all in all, I, I think the defense, has played pretty solid this year. I, you know, they, they haven't been great. They haven't been dominant as they were, uh, you know, three, four years ago. But, uh, you know, but overall, I think they've been, they've been a pretty good defense. And it, it is hard when your offense is struggling. I, I remember uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about, I think the Bears maybe had the most three and outs uh, of anybody in the National Football League. That is hard on a, a defense. And a lot of times the bad offense is combined with, uh, a, a bad, they sort of create a bad defense sometimes because the defense just gets worn out. The players just sort of get beat up. Uh, your will is sort of taken from you uh, as the year goes on because, like, man, our offense just isn't uh, uh, pulling their weight, and it's just hard to go out there after another three and out. But the Bears' defense has been pretty dang consistent uh, uh, throughout this year. they got good players over the year. I think they're pretty well coached. Uh, and, it's, again, it's, it's hard to be on that side of the football when the offense doesn't feel like it's holding its weight. That's Sage Rosenfels from earlier this morning on 670 The Score. Sage is always great with Bernstein and Rahimi. Uh, some good insight there into the Bears and uh, finishing up there uh, with uh, some good things to say about the Bears' defense uh, vis-a-vis the, the Bears' offense uh, and what they have been doing lately. Uh, we will talk plenty more Bears and Bulls as we go on throughout the show. When we come back, though, uh, Bruce Levine, our friend and colleague, will join us uh, as we mourn the passing of our colleague Jeff Dickerson, um, we'll, we'll talk to Bruce about JD next, right here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. And we are back on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Mike Esposito here with you till 9 o'clock this evening, talking Bears, talking Bulls, and. Uh, Unfortunately, talking about uh, uh, the untimely passing of our friend and also the passing of an NFL legend to do both, we're going to head on out to the Score Hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Uh, And our friend Bruce Levine joins us, uh, our colleague here at 670, who also worked 
uh, up the dial with JD. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, Bruce, and first, thanks for coming on uh, to, mm-hmm. to talk about our friend. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a small fraternity, right, in the sports media world. You see the same people at events uh, over and over again. Uh, regardless of sports, uh, Jeff, of course, uh, very identified with all of his Bears coverage, but over the years you'd see him at everything, and you had the pleasure of working with him directly for a long time. Just uh, uh, a, a stunner to some of us. I didn't realize how sick he was, but only 44 years old, that uh, uh, really was far too soon. Well, Jeff was a uh, special guy. <clears throat> and uh, if I get emotional here, uh, bear with me, because um, sure. I, I saw Jeff uh, come right out of college, uh, University of Illinois, and uh, start working uh, at uh, ESPN 1000 back in the early 2000s uh, as a producer, you know, working with, uh, at that time, the Mac Yurko and Harry show, and, uh, and pushing, pushing, pushing. Uh, asking me a, a bunch of questions, always wondering about, uh, you know, guests. Um, how did I get guests? I mean, he was one of the more curious people uh, that I ever met in our field. And I knew that uh, the curiosity was all about um, getting the best guests and getting the best uh, quality people on the air for his shows, learn, being the best producer he could be. And then also with his eye and the fact that he, he knew he wanted to be a reporter. He knew he wanted to be a talk show host. And uh, he just took uh, the, the very best of what was at that station and the people around him and uh, just uh, kept learning, kept pushing. And, and, and a, a finally, it became uh, you know a reality that Jeff was uh, not only a good reporter on the Chicago Bears and a, uh, and a great talk show host, but one of the very best in the country. And... Uh, <clears throat> He was uh, a person who, um, you know, Mike, I'm sure you know people like this. There's not a lot of them, but when you do know them, uh, you remember them and you remember their qualities. And Jeff was a guy that always greeted people with a big smile. And he also, when you had a conversation with Jeff, you felt like you were uh, the only thing on his mind. 100% attention, 100% respect, uh, just, uh, you know, one of those people that, If you didn't know him better, you'd say he was a super salesman because he had all those qualities that you see in all the the great salesmen in the world, except that uh, this was 100% sincerity. And uh, he had a great capacity for people, just a a terrific guy, terrific person to work with, a great husband to Caitlin, a great father to Parker. And uh, it's just a tragedy. It's, it's just a horrible tragedy that uh, he has taken away from us and the sports world and from his son at such an early age. Yeah, certainly agree with uh, what you just said there, Bruce. And, and J.D. and I kind of came up at the same time. We kind of got started around the same time working here in Chicago. And when I met him, he had just started at 1000 uh, as a producer. And then, as you mentioned, uh, uh, before he was done, uh, you know, he was reporting. He, he got to do stuff for ABC7 and then uh, ESPN Television, ESPN.com. I mean, he was all over the place. And he was a guy that, you know, you'd see up on that bar TV on uh, on ESPN doing some Bears hits. And, I always, it, you know, it, it's a very competitive industry. And one of those uh, guys, though, that I always was proud to know. And I'm like, man, you know, look at Jeff up there doing a great job. And 
uh, on, on whatever format it was. The guy was a true pro and really a guy who uh, I know people yeah. loved working with and, and loved working alongside. Well, all I can tell people is uh, keep your eye on a GoFundMe page that we're going to start for uh, Parker. And uh, uh, Parker's 11 years old. He's lost both of his parents. Yep. Uh, a very, very difficult uh, thing. I know Parker, uh, in fact, that was, Bruce, the, the last uh, conversation that I had with Jeff. This is pre-COVID. I haven't seen him since then, but um, the last time I saw him up in the press box at Soldier Field, uh, Parker and, and some of my kids are, are around the same age. We're, we're little league coaches and, you know, peewee <laughs> football coaches and, and you name it, but you know, you could tell how proud he was uh, of Parker and and yeah. uh, how involved he was. And we'll yeah, definitely uh, do th- that. Thanks for uh, bailing me out. Um, no, you know, it's, my uh, pleasure. It's just uh, uh, it's just a rough story, and um, um, you know we're going to do everything we can to uh, support him and his family and Parker uh, going forward. It's just a, a tragedy, but um, you know the bright side is that. Uh, I'll always see that uh, smile and that uh, that handshake and that uh, that friend in Jeff Dickerson, and uh, it'll it'll keep us all going uh, for a long period of time. He was just a, a special guy, and uh, and uh, the the thing about it, um, you know, there, there's so many different moving parts to this, Mike. But the the thing about Jeff is is that he took so much pride in in what he did. He took so much pride in uh, and being a husband and being a father and being a stand-up guy and so much pride in uh, the way he was able to become a reporter and be able to be a talk show host on ESPN television and radio and be uh, on nationally uh, every week for many years. Um, he, he just reveled in the fact that, uh, and I just could relate to him, Mike, just like uh, a lot of us, that this is the only thing that Jeff Dickerson ever wanted to do. He, uh, he accomplished what he wanted to do as a person. He wanted to be involved with sports. He wanted to be at the cutting edge, and he, he certainly was for a long period of time. And uh, when, when you talk about you know, what you dream of and what you try to attempt to do and what you're able to do, even at 44 years, J.D. accomplished all that. He certainly did, and uh, certainly uh, we'll we'll talk more about Jeff and the effect he had. And and if you if you really and I think you could tell right as as for our listeners, um, just by by taking a look at Twitter and and listening to all of the uh, discussion we're having uh, up and down the dial, regardless of station tonight about about Jeff and the impact he had. I mean, this was a guy that was just beloved by. By everyone, and that's not something that's easily said in in sports media and in media in general. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, difficulty sometimes, but Jeff was was absolutely not one of those guys. I know you want to segue to um, John Madden, and it's hard to leave uh, JD, but we're not leaving yep. him behind. We're just we're just changing subjects for the moment. Absolutely, I, I have to ask you because you're a, a longtime sports fan and reporter, and. John Madden is the other breaking news of the evening. Uh, Madden passed away. He was only, uh, or excuse me, he was 85 years old. Um, and really, when, when you think of Madden, I mean, going back to the 70s, starting out as a coach, but then 
you know, throughout the years, broadcasting the video games. I mean, all of the different things you do. There was just a documentary out. Certainly a guy who's had a huge, huge impact on the game of football over the last 50 years. So the way I look at John Madden, he was a uh, Super Bowl winning uh, coach with uh, Oakland in the 70s. By the end of that decade, he uh, just stopped doing it because um, his family was kind of needing him at home. And he needed to to step away. It was consuming him like all football coaches uh, are consumed by the game. And uh, he stepped away for his family. And uh, within a year, uh, he started another career that transcended even being the great Super Bowl coach that he was, mm-hmm. uh, t- turning into uh, kind of a, a an individual, uh, Mike, that was able to bring the players and coaching world uh, and fans more together because of the connection that he had with players, with coaches, and with fans. There was just there was just a, uh, a, a, a there was an ability for him to bring everybody together, and and players, you know, were just as interested and in, in, enamored of John, John Madden's attention as fans were uh, of the way he described the game. Uh, there was just there was just a, uh, a a way that he was able to teach the game, and at the same time. Uh, talk to you like you're just sitting next to him at, at, at a bar, you know, and, and uh, there, there was never a talking down situation with John. He, he always kept the coach uh, speak going, but there was a humanity to it and there was fun to it. And uh, that fun and, and that, uh, that football acumen kind of meshed together and made him unique in what he was able to do as far as being an analyst. And then eventually you know, he became bigger than some of the games because it turned into the all Madden teams and it turned into the, 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 the turkey dinners on Thanksgiving and him traveling. You know, he didn't like to fly, so he traveled everywhere by bus. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, he became bigger than many, many of the football players that he talked about every, every weekend. So it was uh, it was. The timing of the um, uh, special that was really wonderful, but that Fox did on uh, right. Christmas Day, uh, it certainly couldn't come at a, at a better time, unfortunately at a worse time with him passing as well. But, uh, uh, you know, it was, just a, uh, it was just a remarkable piece that they did on Fox. I recommend everybody try to watch that because um, you see a lot of things other than just a football coach and a, a commentator. You see the humanity, right. you see the, the father, you see the husband. It's a, it's a really well done piece. Well, Bruce, we appreciate you jumping on on short notice to talk about uh, our friend Jeff Dickerson and, uh, and also John Madden. Uh, we'll talk to you about uh, happier things down the line, and we'll definitely be looking for that uh, GoFundMe information uh, as Mike, that is put uh, together. Thanks for thinking of me and the opportunity to talk about uh, – a really special person and a great, great, great broadcaster, Jeff Dickerson. Thank you. My pleasure, Bruce. Uh, Bruce Levine from our staff. Uh, we appreciate Bruce jumping on. Uh, we will uh, talk to David Haw next, uh, talk 
uh, to David uh, about Jeff and talk to David about uh, John Madden and the legacy that John Madden leaves. Uh, we'll do that when we return. It's Mike Esposito with you right here in Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.